Well, let's see. I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 4. And we're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter number 4. And we'll begin reading at verse number 1. While we're turning there, a couple of things I want to uh, ask you to do uh, for me for the body of faith here. I want you all to keep our own brother Roderick L. White lifted up in prayer. His mother transitioned on this past Tuesday morning to go home to be with the Lord. And so y'all keep brother Rod, amen, bathed in prayer, amen. Uh, Rod was the only child. Uh, and uh, whenever you, you lose a mom or a parent or a spouse, it is a tough thing. So let's keep our brother lifted up uh, and, and bathe him in prayer, amen. Uh, also, I want to share with you, I uh, had an awesome praise report. I shared with you a few weeks back by little Faith James had a massive uh, a mass in her, in her head, and they had to go in and remove that mass from that little four-year-old's head. Uh, and I, I got, I, I, we got word this week that uh, after they sent that mass off to be uh, examined, it was not cancerous. Wow. Come on, don't, don't you tell me the Lord won't answer prayer. Glory to God. And she's starting to move around and getting, getting, getting back to being that little vibrant four-year-old. So Damien uh, and Teresa James, know that your family of faith is praying for you. And we're continuing to lift up little faith in our prayers. So 2 Kings chapter number 4, uh, we're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. Hallelujah. The text says this, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is what? Is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Let's keep reading. It says this, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked, tell me what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Next verse says what? And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Text says this, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. Okay, next verse says, so she did as she was told, her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Verse number six, let's read. Soon every container was full to the brim. I need y'all to read that together with me once more and again. Ready, read. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. She said to one of her sons, there aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil Stop flowing. Verse number seven. Let's read together. It says what? What had happened? He said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on, on what is left over. Talking about stepping out in faith. Now I, I need you to, if you will, pay careful attention to this pastor scripture here and pay careful attention to some of the concepts and the principles of faith that we're going to share with you this morning. Cause I'm still convinced 
and I've been pastoring here for 34 years now, I'm still convinced that there are many Christians who have failed to grasp the concept of what it means to live by faith. There are many Christians who understand church, understand religion because you've had that all your life. But I will submit to you, God wants and desires for his people, the called out one, the ecclesia, those who confess Christ as Lord and Savior, he desires for us to learn how to live by faith. Are you listening to me today? The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The person who comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently seek him. But the sad reality is, especially with the church in America, because we have such, in in most cases, we are, uh, you know, financially, we are a, a well off compared to the rest of the world. We tend to trust in our own resources. We tend to trust in, in our skill sets and the money that we have in our bank accounts. And, and, and we as a whole don't see faith being lived out in the way that I believe God desires for it to be lived out in this country. And so I want us to begin to be a church that steps out in faith. I want us to be a church that does something that's unusual. I want the community to talk about this church. And not because we're doing something negative, but talk about it because we are stepping out in faith and we are showing, amen, the unity Jesus prayed about in John the 17th chapter. When he says that I pray that they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that the world will believe that you love them just as much as you love me. Amen. Amen? And I will submit to you right now, I got to tie my shoe and the world is not doing it right now. I do not want to trip and fall, so I'm going to take the liberty of tying my shoe. I know this is unorthodox. I know this may sound like it's country, and I can be a little bit country. I'm from the town of Benton. I was from Benton before it was cool to be from Benton. So my my shoe is tied, and I can keep on preaching without fear of tripping over, okay? Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Now, we get into this text here because God wants us to live by faith. He wants us to operate by faith. But the reality is that most Christians don't understand what that really encompasses and what that entails. Most of us want to conjure up faith when we need something from God. Most of us, our prayer life, if we're honest about it, is not very fervent. And we only pray when we need something. And God says, I've given you the avenue of prayer to connect with me on a consistent daily basis. So look at this text here. Watch this. Watch it. The widow, uh, look at the power of God to meet the need here in this text. The first thing I tell you in the outline is we have a crisis. What is the crisis here? Well, the crisis is a prophet had died. One, one, a, a man who served Elisha had, had transitioned and left his widow with some heavy debt. Can I park here just for a second? And I want to share something with you all, how critically important this is. This is, this is really, this is not a part of something, but I guess it is. Uh, if you are living now uh, and, and, and you, you may be in great health, one thing I want to tell you to do, get you some life insurance. All right, come on back with me. Come on back with me. Make sure you have some life insurance. 
I can't tell you the number of times where I've experienced a situation where we had to do funerals and people have to pass the bucket or beg the community or to set up a GoFundMe page to bury their loved ones. That's irresponsible. You can get a $10,000 term life insurance policy for less than nothing or $25,000 life insurance policy for $10 a month to take the burden off your loved ones when you transition. And if the rapture tarries, if the rapture waits for another thousand years, I got news for you, all of us will be dead. So since you know you're going to go, get some life insurance and don't burden your family like that. Can I get one amen? And then somebody else said, well, Brett, Pastor, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I thought everybody does No, 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 no. I've seen it too many times. So that's just, that's a sidebar. You didn't ask me for that. I'm not going to even charge you for that. But if you will use wisdom, you will find yourself doing it. Amen? I've seen it happen too many times. So, so watch this. The prophet died and left his widow with some heavy debt. And, and, and Elisha knew this particular man and that he had a reputation for godliness. Everybody say godliness. His death would have ended whatever income that he earned and for a widow at, at this season in time in history for a widow to raise two sons unaided would have been a very difficult or next to impossible task to take to take place during this time that she lived in. Even dedicated people, amen, who love God, who, who've been trained for ministry you may love God, but trials will come your way. You may love God, but death will come knocking at your family's door at some point in time. And that's what happened to this, this, this lady who's now a widow. Now, according to Hebrew law, a creditor could take the debtor and his children as servants, but he was not to treat them like slaves. They were to treat them fairly. But we find out in this text, watch what it says here. In verse, if you go back with me, it says, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who you served is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my son's slaves. Now, it would be heartbreaking for this woman to lose her husband because of death and then her two sons would be sold into slavery, servitude, or taken into servitude to pay a debt. That, w- that would have been a heartbreaking thing. It's already, it's already tough on her to lose her spouse, to lose her husband, to lose her main man, her boo thing, her sweetheart, her lover, soulmate. Anybody got? Huh? Anybody got some nickname for me? Your moo-moo, your... Baby doll, yo bae, yo smooky, who? Okay, all right, all right. I better stop because it may get a little dangerous if I keep going here. But whoever it is, your spouse, for her to lose her spouse and then for her sons to be taken away from her would be a very heartbreaking thing, would y'all agree? But the, the creditors were demanding payment. 
Amen. They were demanding payment and, 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 and all of her food and supplies had been deleted. So that is the crisis that we see being faced by this widow right now. A crisis of faith, a crisis uh, that, that, that had to be very heartbreaking and detrimental to her mindset. Emotionally, this had to have her in an uproar. I know it would be. Can I get a witness? So we have a crisis. So what is the solution? Look at verse number two. Everybody say God. Has a solution for your life. Say, God has a solution for my crisis. So, so we look at verse number two. The text says this in verse two. It says, uh, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Now, Elisha, we saw him uh, on last week when we looked in the fifth chapter when he, uh, when Naaman came to him. We start this whole series on stepping out in faith by dealing with Naaman coming to the man of God and asking him to heal him from leprosy. Y'all saw that, right? This is the very same Elisha here. This is a, a, a chapter before that. So the text says here, uh, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Well, so here's the solution. First of all, she sought the counsel of the man of God. Listen, it's very important when you're going through something, when you're facing a system, that you seek out spiritual counseling. I am one who believes that clinical counseling is necessary, and I don't knock that one iota. But you don't forget spiritual counseling also. Some things are of a spiritual nature, and some things can be of a clinical nature. It's okay to have both, but don't forget God when you're in the midst of your crisis. Don't forget what God's word says, because when you learn how to step out in faith, even though you're facing a difficult situation, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can even ask or think. According to his power that works in you, that dunamis that we talked about, that God, that power that has been that has been entrusted to us. Amen. Watch out. Amen. For for when when, when we get into a, one of these crisis situations, watch out for where your mind goes. Because your mind, if it starts to move away from God and focuses entirely on the crisis, you'll forget to go to God. And the problem now becomes bigger than your God because you're focusing on the problem. So we see here, she, she went out and sought counsel of the prophet of God. And then she also, the third thing, I, I, the second thing I would tell you, she sought the help of her neighbors. Notice the advice that the prophet, the man of God gave her. She, he says, what can I do to help you? Tell me what do you have in the house? He wanted to know what she had. Nothing at all except the flask of olive oil. Look at what the prophet told in verse number three. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from the flask into the jar, setting each, up, each one aside when it is filled. And I want to part right here and say something. I think some of us would have fell down here and been reluctant to go and do what the man of God told us. Because the man of God told us to go and borrow something from your neighbors. All right. Go and, and, and let your neighbors know that you need their help. Better yet, go and let your church members know that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm struggling right now and I need you to pray for me. I got these things going on in my mind that, 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 uh, that are causing me to, to want to do some things that I know is not right. Brother, can you stand with me in prayer? Sister, can you pray with me? Many of us have not embraced the concept of operating and living in authentic community. We've been talking about it quite a bit around here, but how many of you all have 
intentionally connected with someone else, another believer who can walk through life situations with you. Most time because of pride, people don't want to connect because they figure, well, I need people to know that I got it all together. And I got news for you. None of us have it all together. Let me see the hands of all y'all out there that need a little help. All right. Hands go up. All right. Thank you. Anybody that don't need a little help, come on up here. We're gonna, we, want, we want to see what you got, okay? <laughs> everybody needs help. Everybody say, everybody, everybody. needs help. Needs so, so, so she saw papers, and, and so he told her to go and borrow jars. Now, again, remember, she doesn't have any financial resources. Her son's about to be taken into slavery to, to work off the debt. But she's in this crisis situation because her husband just died and now she's getting ready to lose her two sons. But she consults the man of God and the man of God gives us some, some direction and some instructions. So she sought the help of her neighbor. Uh, she, 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 she began to, uh, to, to go out and knock on doors and got the jars and brought them back. And when she brought those jars back, the text lets us know that they began to pour oil in the jars. Now, again, I've, we preached on this before and I share with you, if you're noticing this text, when she did what the man of God told her to do, rather than questioning him, saying, well, what, what's the, what good is it going to do for me to go get some empty jars? I've told you all, faith does not make sense. But once you get a command, a directive from God, amen, we are, we are, we're, we're called upon to step out and move. You may not understand it. It may not make sense to you. But if you have a word from God, learn how to step out and trust God that he knows exactly what he is doing. Here's the reality is when your faith has not been cultivated and developed, you think God crazy. You think God don't know what he's talking about when he says pray for those who despitefully use you. You don't, you, you don't think God knows what he's talking about when he tells you to do something that seems to be strange or uncommon. But I've discovered when God, amen, lays a word of instructions into your life, it is best that each one of us follow those instructions. Amen? So we, he, the solution came when when she followed the man of God, he says, go into verse four, then go into your house and with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So we see the provision taking place here, doing exactly what the prophet instructed her to do and trust to meet the need. This widow got her need met. This widow saw her faith, her faith to trust that God's man. First of all, she went to him. Are y'all listening to me today? She went to, she came to Elisha and cried out. She sought out the advice from God's servant. And when she sought that advice from God's servant, he willingly helped her because God gave him a rhema word for this individual. So we see the solution to the problem is when she stepped out on God's word as giving by the man of God. You know, uh, go to James chapter two with me right quick. James two, and we're going to look at verse number 14. James chapter two, verse number 14. Everybody say, stepping out in faith. I've shared with you, if you can see it, if you know where all the resources are coming from, then it doesn't take faith. Okay? It doesn't take faith. Just, just go and do it. 
You got the money, you got the resources, you got the talents, skill sets that are there. Just go and do it. Faith means that God is going to stretch me. Why does God require us to walk and to live by faith? He requires that because he's trying to get us to trust him rather than our own selves. And we as prideful human beings, prideful little Christians, we love to have all the answers. We love to be in charge of our situation. But when you walk by faith, that means that you release control. And the reality is that many of us in here do not like to release control. We want to be in control of every situation. We want to have every little thing lined out. And God says, if you're going to learn to trust me, you got to learn to trust me. And there's only one way to trust somebody, that is to trust them. You can't, listen, you can't doubt and trust at the same time. Are y'all with me? Watch what the book of James says. And I said James chapter 2 and verse number 14. Are you there with me? Can we read together? Uh, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Stop. How many of you ask God for your financial well-being? This is a participatory sermon. And maybe you don't trust God for your financial well-being. But if you, tr- if you really trust him, then for your financial well-being, then that means that when God asks you to do anything with your finances, you'll do it because you know that he's the one who's providing for your need. Is that correct? Now, some of y'all think that it's that job that you have or that business that you own. But let me tell you something. Jobs dissipate. Any of y'all ever got laid off before? Plant shut down? Anybody ever got laid off before? Let me see. Anybody ever got fired before? Any of y'all got fired five or six times? If you got fired five or six times, we need to have a counseling session. Because I've told you that when you go to these places of employment, born-again believers should be the best employees on the job. Because scripture tells us whatever we do, Sherry, we should do it heartily as unto the Lord. And that includes our work environment. So some of us got to pray a little bit. Some of us got to get our minds right. Some of us got to get our attitude positioned under God. Are y'all tracking with me? I got to keep moving, y'all, lest I lose my place here. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but can't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So I, I said, if you trust God for your finances, when God says give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, so you're going to run over, will men give unto your bosom for the same measure you meet out, it'll be measured back unto you again. When, when, when he says give, uh, and to support those who, who are less fortunate than you to, to sow uh, into the lives of those who are less fortunate and God gives you a word, a command to do so, do you move on it? Or do you say, well, you know what, God, I, I hear what you're saying, God, but you know what, I've done my budget and I see this thing right here and I just, I just can't afford to do what you said do. Let me ask you a question. Would God ask you to do something that you can't do? If God asked you or required for you to do something that you cannot do, then he would be a and we don't serve an unjust God. So we got to learn how to move by faith. 
And that means that there are going to be some times when I don't understand the total picture, but I'm moving because I know God told me to move. So what good is it? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. Come on, all you spiritual folks. And you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Child, I'm praying for you. Now you got $5,000 uh, in your pocket. And that person is hungry. And you can't peel off a couple hundred and say, go buy you some groceries. You don't need to peel off a couple hundred. I don't carry a whole lot of cash, but, you know, if I did, I could put it out and just peel off a couple of them for you. But you don't even have to have money with you now. You just sell them. Cash app them. PayPal them. What's another one? Huh? You can Apple pay them. Huh? All those type things are available now to be able to do that. So, so if, if, if I don't move, what good does it do to know somebody's hungry and then I'm not willing to do anything? Look at what he says. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, watch this. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Unless what you say you believe is having impact, it ain't doing no good. It ain't doing no good. Yes, I said it that way. I said it in the colloquial terms of the South. It ain't doing no good. In case you have your doctorate and you say, I can't listen to a guy who can't talk, it is not doing anybody any good. Are y'all listening to me today? Our faith has to be seen. This word that we're reading needs to be parlayed out in the individual's life. If we say we love people, let's show it. Because love is an action word. So we see here that the provision came. If you go back to 2 Kings, the provision came Amen. To this woman, a, a lesson of great faith is exhibited because she went out and did the oil only stopped when they ran out of jars. So my question is, had they gotten more jars, would the oil still be flowing? I would take, I would say that it would be. And so her blessing was only limited to by her level of faith. And many of our blessings are limited to by our level of faith. We, there are different levels of faith, and we got to learn how to move and operate and not stay stuck where we are. God will oftentimes begin with what you already have when it comes to your faith journey. He, he took what the woman had. The woman didn't have very much. She only had a flask of oil. But once she was willing to do what the man of God said and commit that flask of oil and pour it into those vessels, she began to, to, to fill those up and had enough to, to sell, sell and pay off the debt. And guess what, guys? The Bible says had enough for she and her two sons to live off of. That was a great blessing. To live off of it. To, to be able to survive, guys. That means that God blessed her with plenty in this situation. See, God oftentimes begins with what we already have. 
We keep trying to get more before we obey God. God said, let me use what you already have. God, Moses had a rod in his hand and God used that to accomplish some great things. Can I get a witness? Peter, and we're going to see this later, and his partners had fishing nets in their hands and God used it to bring a great harvest. The young boy had two fish and five barley loaves and God used it to feed 5,000. Give him what you have. And quit, quit waiting to get something more. If you will take what you already have and be obedient to God's will for your life, God will bless you with more because he knows he can entrust you with more. Can I get a witness? This poor widow, all that the poor widow had was a little oil in a vessel, but little is much when it's, little is much when God is in it. Can I get a witness? Most of her neighbors would have, would, would have unused empty vessels sitting around, so she wasn't robbing anybody by borrowing them. And once she had sold it all, she could return the vessels back to him. Elisha instructed her to shut the door so that nobody would see that a miracle was occurring in her house. And no doubt she warned her sons to keep quiet. Sometimes, here's what I discovered. You can't tell God's dream for you to everybody. Because we got some dream killers in the church. They can't see what God has shown you. So because they can't see what God has shown you, they'll try to talk you out of what God has shown you. I want to surround myself with people of faith. People who are, who are not saying what we can't do. Do y'all have those kind of people in your life? Every time you bring up something to do that's out of the ordinary or beyond what they can imagine, well, we can't do that. We always come up with a reason why we can't transform a thing or do something different to make it better. And we always come up with excuses, but God is not in the excuse business. When he tells us to do something, when we step out on faith and do it, and follow his lead, then we'll see the benefits of, of learning how to step out in faith and follow God whenever he tells us to do something. Now watch this. I, I, I want to move to the next part of this, uh, this, 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 this lesson that I want to give you on faith because uh, this lady received her blessing as she was able to live. When she sold the oil, she had enough money again to pay off the debt and maintain herself and her two sons. The Lord doesn't always perform miracles of this kind to help us pay off our debt. I, I know some of y'all said, Pastor, I, I want him to pay off my Listen, you can pay off your debt. How many of y'all want to be debt free? All right. There's a strategy for, strategy for being debt free. Here, here's, here's one part of it. Don't spend more than you make. Stop charging. If you charge something on a credit card, make sure you pay it off when the bill comes due. If you can't Pay it off when the bill comes due. Don't charge it. Pastor, where's the revelation at? That's revelation. (laughs) When you consistently spend more than you bring in, you will never get ahead. That's just for some, I don't know who that's for. And quit, you husband and wives, quit fighting about money. Get on the same page. The two become one flesh in every aspect of life. Let me come to this side over here. I said, spouses, get on the same page. First of all, honor God. With the first fruits of all your increase. And when you learn to honor God, you learn to honor your spouse also. So don't fight over that. Don't fight. Don't, don't fight. Everybody say, don't fight. don't fight. 
All right, get on the same page, all right? Can I keep moving? If we give everything to God, he can make a little go a long way. How many of y'all have experienced it before? You may be going through a period of basement. I told y'all this before. When Mary and I first got married, you know, we were young and we were, we were trying to figure things out. And we never really had a model that we could follow after. But we just we did the best we could. Didn't really have a lot of word on marriage. And so the first two years of our marriage, we fought like cats and dogs. Oh, y'all heard our testimony before, have you? First two years, I want her to go back to Haynesville. She wanted me to come back to Benton. Because we were two Christians doing marriage selfishly. How many of you can be saved and be selfish? How many of you can be saved and ignorant to the things of God as it relates to how the husband should love his wife unconditionally and how a wife should reverence and respect the husband? But once we learn what God's word said about marriage, once we begin to study marriage and apply, not just study it, because some of y'all have been studying it for 25 years and did none of it. Just stop studying if you ain't going to do it. Do you not know really, the Bible says it would be better for you not to know what to do than to know what to do and don't do it. Because you're held accountable. Some people do stuff out of ignorance, but some of y'all doing it want to do you. And you know better. Amen? So, 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 so I thank God that, that now at, at almost uh, um, 38 years of marriage, amen, that, that, that God, we, this is a good season. We've had, we had some dry seasons. Any of y'all willing to admit that you had some dry seasons? Well, things were not quite where you wanted to be. Amen? But it, it's good when you got peace at home. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but whoever you are, learn how to have peace at home. And that comes from studying the do marriage God's way. So uh, let, let's look at some principles that we should embrace, some principles of faith. Six of them I'm going to give to you right quick, okay? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want you to just kind of think about these things. The widow followed the man of God. The widow did something. The widow did not all she wanted was the man of God to help her, and the man of God told her to do. He took what she had, the flask of oil. She went and borrowed, embraced others, and said, let me borrow that. I'll get it back to you. And she was taken care of. So, principle number one, faith is a way of life. Everybody say, faith, faith. Is, a way is a way of life. Faith is not. Let me repeat that. It is not just a get rich quick scheme. It is not just a get what I want plan. It is a way of life. Romans 1 and 17 says the just shall live by faith. The just, those who have been justified in Christ Jesus shall live a lifestyle that is embodied by a walk of faith. Faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are not seen. So I should be living my life, amen, amen, by faith. I should be living my life in such a way that when God tells me to move on a thing that I can't see or understand, I'll move because God told me to move. When I see God's command in his word, I'll jump on it and move on it even when my feelings may be suspect. Even when emotionally I may not be there, obedience 
It's better than sacrifice. Obedience can help my emotions to align and my thought life to align with God's word. Because there are going to be some times when God tells you to do something that you may not be feeling it. But it's not about you feeling it. It's about you living it. So faith is a way of life. Everybody say way of life. This is not a see what I can get out of God message. Because some people think that's all faith is good for. Well, I, God didn't do this. Well, what did you do? Sometimes we try to come and God is, listen, God loves all of us, but God's not going to let you play him. Y'all know what it means to play somebody? That means that, that, that you're going to take advantage of him. That means that God desires a relationship with you and he does not, he, he does not want you just to come to him when you need something from him. And if the truth be told, and I am into telling the truth, many Christians look at God as just a sugar daddy. God, where are you? I need you right now. Now, God, now that you gave me what I want, don't bother me. I'm not going to 318 church and serve some homeless folks. I'm watching a ball game. Alabama and Georgia are playing. Don't, don't tell me to go to, uh, to, to common ground. I mean, I got other stuff that I got to do. What, 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 where were you, what were you, what were you saying when you were asking God for the things that you needed? Faith is a lifestyle. Everybody say lifestyle. It's a way of life. Person number two, we got to keep in mind. Our lifestyle must coincide with God's word. Everybody say my lifestyle must coincide with God's word. Although faith comes by repeatedly hearing the word and is developed by putting the word into action, we must make sure that we, to the best of our ability, are living in line with God's holy scriptures. Once I discover what God's word says about any area of my life, I am under obligation to do that word. Principle number three, faith continually grows. Everybody say it grows. To grow in faith is a process. It's like working a muscle. The more you work that muscle, when you get into weight training, the more you uh, pump, the stronger you should get, right? The more you bench press, if you, if you start out, when you first start out trying to bench press, you may, you may only be able to get 135. And maybe, maybe you only be able to do the bar. Any y'all really think about lifting weights? Maybe you can only do the bar when you first start out, but if you, if you just pump the bar, which is the bar... Olympic size weight bar, I think weighs about 45 pounds. Is that correct? This weighs 45 pounds. Just start out with 45. And the more you do exercise with 45, then now you can put a little a 5 or 10 on there. Then the more you do with a 5 or 10, then now you can go to 25. Then from 25 to 35, 35 to 45 on each side. And now you got three plates on each side. And you're cooking with grease now. But you got to start where you are. Just because you saw KD get up on it and pump 375 pounds 15 times, you can't do that. KD said, I can. He said, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But faith is like a muscle. The reason why many of us have no faith is because we haven't exercised it. We've sought to figure everything out on our own. We try to do it our own selves. And God says, I need you to trust me to start stepping out and exercising. Person number four, God always honors his word. 
God always honors his word. Now, again, you got to make sure it's his word and not yours and not your mama's, not your daddy's, not your spouse, but his word. God always honors his word. This rule of faith is that is it is saying that we cannot. Here's what most of us do. Most of us try to act first and then expect God to come in line with our actions. We make a decision, a conscious decision, and then we want to pray to God to join our decision. God will come in line with his word if we act on it. God will not necessarily come in line with your action, but he will come in line with his word. Why? Because the Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. He's watching over his word. He's looking throughout the earth to try to find a man or woman who's willing to be obedient to his word. You know what blessed me about Jeff's testimony is that I know what God told me. Listen, if I don't know anything else, I know when the Lord is speaking. That's why I'm so passionate about what the Lord told me about bridging the gap. I heard somebody say this the other day, and it's so true. He said, when you are a bridge, you got people walking over you, coming over and back. And sometimes when you're a bridge, people will walk on you. They'll walk on your testimony of faith. People won't understand why you're doing what you and, and but, but it doesn't matter to me. I know what God said. God says, be the bridge. And, and, and I won't let no devil in hell, no racist demon on this side of heaven stop me from doing what God told me to do. And we're going to be a vessel of honor. That's down in my spirit. And it's in the word. And I know I'm right because it's in the word. The whole concept of the gospel message embraces breaking down the middle wall of partition that existed between Jew and Gentile. It's the blood of Jesus that brings us together. Not our political party, not where we come from, not our skin color. It's Jesus. That's down on the inside of me. And I can't, I cannot, I'm not going to not do what God told me to do. Now, whether somebody comes alone, that's up to you. I can't, I can't, that's, listen, I know what I'm going with God. And I'm seeing God manifest his will, his word into our lives. I want to, I want, I want EBC. I think God wants EBC to be a bridge that exhibits what it means to love people unconditionally. Did you all hear me? That's why y'all, y'all are seeing us. We've been, we've been saying, get out in the community. We're giving you serving opportunities. Uh, Watch the announcements. Watch the daily digest. We'll give you serving opportunities because one of the things that helps us when we learn how to serve together, we learn how to meet people who don't look like us, meet people of different economic status than we are, and then we get a chance to love on people. And when you serve together and love on people together, it draws us closer together in community. Are y'all with me today? So God always does what? What does he always do? He honors his word. Fifth principle, God, faith is not moved by the circumstances. Everybody say faith is not moved by the circumstances. When we are not looking at the circumstances, that means we are not moved by the negative situations confronting us. Circumstances change, but God's word doesn't. That means that if I'm operating in faith, circumstances may say, but God has already told me I can do it. So even though I see the circumstance, 
I acknowledge the circumstance, I'm not moved by it. Because I have a word that told me something different. And I'm willing to move on that word. Lastly, faith operates at various levels. Everybody say faith Faith. operates at various levels. We should begin to believe God wherever we are spiritually and make a determination to develop our faith by continually exercising it until it becomes like the seed that grows into a tree. Now, I want you to go to Luke, the fifth chapter. Let me right quick. Here's a familiar passage of scripture, but I, in my time that's left, in my small amount of time that's left, I want y'all to look at this right quick. Luke chapter five, verse number one. Stepping out in faith. Perfect illustration. Verse one, let's read. Preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Don't miss this. Here here Jesus is trying to minister to a crowd of people. And what he does is he, in order to minister to these crowds of people, everybody couldn't hear him. So he, he decides to look around and see what's available. And he saw these empty boats there where he could push out a little bit and his voice could be projected and everybody could hear. Him. So the text says this in verse number four, ready to read. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. All right. Y'all there with me? Now notice what happens. Master, Simon replied, ready? We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to what? Tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon other boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. The sons of thunder, the ones who wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn the Samaritans up, they were amazed. Now watch this. Why were they amazed? Let's unpack it real quickly in my time I have left. This, if you look at, look at what happened to them, Jesus asked them to let them use what they had, right? So the first thing I want you to look at, look at the sequence of God's increasing the sequence of God's blessing here is that first of all, the Lord will ask us to give this first phase. I've told you this before shouldn't surprise any one of us. Jesus unashamedly asked his followers to give to him. He even asked for a little boy's fit, a lunch to feed 5,000. I told you earlier, Jesus boldly and confidently with no reservation or hesitation can ask us to present back to him a portion of what he has blessed us with. Jesus asks us to give back because he plans to do something benevolent with it. So he asks us to give. 
Now, again, we're going to look at why were Peter and these, this group amazed? Well, they were amazed because this was unusual for them to fish the way Jesus instructed them to fish. Here, Jesus is a carpenter telling them to do something that they are professionally doing. They were commercial fishermen. Are y'all with me? Look at the, the second point. Second, after God asks us to give, God opens the window of heaven. Now, the prophet Malachi says that once we present our tithe as well as our offering to the Lord, he opens the windows of heaven. Y'all, y'all, y'all have heard that down through the years, where bring you all the tithes and offer to the storehouse and prove me now here with the Lord of hosts that I will not pour you out the window of heaven and bless you that you won't have room enough to receive, okay? That's Malachi 3, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing that. The word blessing in Malachi 3 and 10 is not, hear me carefully, it's not a direct reference to money. Did y'all hear me? It's not a direct reference to money. According to Strong's Concordance, it primarily means a benediction. Everybody say benediction. Broken down grammatically, the, this word comes from benny and diction. Benny means good and diction means a flow of words, a good flow of words. So Webster Dictionary defines benediction as to speak well of. Therefore, God is making this promise in Malachi. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a benediction through the windows of heaven that will start to flow. Amen. A start of good that fits your life perfectly. Jesus gave Peter a benediction in Luke 5 and 4. It was an idea that fit his life perfectly. Some of you, God is impressing your spirit to do a certain thing, go apply for a certain job, start a certain business, and he's giving you a, a, a good flow of word that fits your life, that fits your skill set. And that's what he did right here. Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. And what God said through that window just happened to be about fishing. Amen. Peter could respond in many different ways, like many of us do when, we, when God tells us to do something. Either we, he will apply the illumination to his, his craft, or he might see a whole new way of doing business. Here we see him fishing in the daytime, fishing in the deep part of the water. Let's think about this for a second. Catch, catching fish in the deep part represented a new concept. Y'all heard me preach this before. It represented a new concept for these commercial fishermen. Fishermen on the Sea of Galilee historically fished at night, hello, and they fished in the shallow part of the lake. That approach is probably how Peter had always fished all his life, along with his father and his grandfather before him. His friends, no doubt, fished in a similar manner. It was possibly the only way that they understood fishing They had no idea that someone could go into the deep part of the lake, amen, in the daytime and catch fish. But now, suddenly, Peter gets a benediction. He gets a word from Jesus. Now, he could have did like a lot of us did. Well, I'm a fisherman. I've done this all my life. You are a carpenter, Jesus. What does a carpenter know about fishing? How many of y'all try to explain away God's word of faith for your life? Well, I've, I've seen this. I've experienced this. You know, I, I've seen it before. I've dealt with that guy before. And I know you're telling me to go over there and minister to him and share with him. But he's not going to listen. When God gives you a benediction, I implore you to act on it, to move on it. They, 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 they had not done business this way. They had not fished this way before. But Jesus says, 
your business model today. I'm going to get you to do something different. When Peter received this benediction, I believe that Malachi 3 and 10 was being fulfilled. Peter gave the windows, Peter gave the windows of heaven open and God began pouring out a benediction. He, he had to call his partners over. The nest began to break because he moved at what Jesus told him to do. Why did Jesus do this? Because he let Jesus use what he had. How many of y'all are willing to let Jesus use your car? Yeah, the one you just bought to go pick somebody up and take them to work. How many of y'all are willing to let God use your house? Yes, the one you just bought. The one that you have plastic on the couch you can't nobody sit on. The five-bedroom house, and there's two of y'all in there, and somebody needs a place to stay, but they can't stay there. How many of y'all are sitting there, have something that you have that no matter how small it may be, but God is saying, let me use what you have. I need y'all to hear me. Here, Peter let him use his boat to minister to people. And Jesus gave him a benediction, a good flow of word that words that fit his life perfectly. Oftentimes, here's my experience. God can do anything. He'll give you a word, but oftentimes he'll give you a word that fits your gifting, your skill set, the thing that maybe he can expound upon. And God can also give you a directive, Sister Mandy, in a direction that you've never been in before. He can work either way. But oftentimes I see God moving and directing us in an area that maybe we already have a passion for something. But he gives them a free flow of words. So, uh, so again, look, look back at our line. First, the Lord asks us to give. Secondly, what does, he, what does he ask us to do? What happens? Number two, God opens the windows of heaven. What does that mean? That means that, that he, gives, he gives us a, 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 a good word that fits our life. Not necessarily money, and most of us talk, think about that just as money, but it goes beyond that. When God can give you a word that fits your life perfectly, you're going to make money. You're going to get money because it takes money to live. I don't apologize for preaching about money because if you look at it in, 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 in the scripture, Jesus talked a whole lot about material possessions and money because he knew that would be the one thing that would have the hearts and minds of men for where a man's. There, where a man's what treasure is, there will is. All right. Watch it. So watch this. All right. So third, once the window of heaven opens, God begins to speak either an idea, a concept, an opportunity or wisdom that fits your life perfectly. Fourth thing, you must act on God's word for you. Many of y'all are sitting there right now and God has been prompting your spirit to investigate, to go do research, to begin to move in a direction. Maybe it's career wise, maybe it's family wise or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's, it's to minister to somebody, it's to share with somebody. But you sat there and you haven't moved. Look at this thing. God begins to speak. But again, fourth, fourth thing is you must act on God's word for you. You need to do something with it. Faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. That's what the Bible says. You got to do something with it. You must put this word into motion, whether it's an idea, a concept, an opportunity, or wisdom. Whatever comes through that window is designed to help you reach the goals of, your, of life that God has planned for you. Fifth thing, watch this. God releases the flow of blessings. 
Once you move, you got to move. And here's the problem with a lot of our churches. They're not moving. A lot of our churches are not making evangelism a priority. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody who wasn't already saved? When was the last time you intentionally struck up a conversation, intentionally cultivated a relationship with someone who you contact in contact with and you know they don't have a faith walk with Jesus? It's been that long, haven't it? See, God has called all of us to be ambassadors for Christ. He's called all of us to move with him. God releases a flow of many blessings come into our lives. The natural process of life, uh, you know, now we see when we, that benediction comes, now we see blessings moving our way to help us to get accomplished God's will for our lives. I will tell you this, guys, and hear me carefully. God has graced every last one of us in here with spiritual giftings. God has called you to live in faith for him. God has called you, has called you and I to be a vessel of honor. And he wants to use you, amen, as a part of this ministry. He wants to use you as a part of the body of Christ to go and be a blessing to others. But the sad reality is many of us have stood still and have been reluctant to step out in faith because we have not allowed the word of God to build our faith. Faith cometh by and hearing by what? The more word I put inside of me and the more word I begin to act on or begin to exercise, my faith becomes stronger. When I can look back over my life and see what the Lord has done, it gives me hope for the future. When I can look back and see what he did 10 years ago when he made a way out of no way, listen, I got hope for the future. That's why it's so important to write it down. You see God constantly telling Israel to write it down. Write it on the doorpost of your heart, of your houses. Talk about it when you sit down to eat dinner. Talk about it when you're going by the wayside. Talk about it when you're washing clothes. Talk, talk about it when you're mowing the Lord. Well, I guess you can't mow the yard and talk about it. You can meditate on it. Amen. Whatever you're doing, put yourself in remembrance of the goodness of God. Because that'll stimulate your faith to know if he did it two years ago, he can do it today. If he did it 20 years ago, he can still do it today. God is still God. And he's able to do exceeding abundant above all we can ask or think. So where is your faith? Where is your faith? The question we need to ask ourselves as I close. Do I know in my spirit what I should do. Do I know in my spirit the direction and plan God has for my life? And am I sitting on it? Am I sitting on it? Am I, am I being a procrastinator? Am I not moving at God's command? Stepping out in faith involves leaving our comfort zone and said, God, I trust what you said more than what I feel. I trust what you said more than what I've experienced. I'm going to allow your word to take a preeminent place in my heart and help me to be what you called in the day for me to be. Every head bowed to our clothes.